Welcome to Coffee Talk with Linda Davis. I'm Linda Davis. Before we dive into God's Word today, just a little about myself. I love Jesus. I love coffee. And I love sharing keys to abundant living. So go grab yourself a cup of coffee and join me today as we talk about the fact that God has us. God wants you to know today, no matter what, I've got you. Stop looking to man to do what only I can do for you. Nobody else has you like I have you. Don't be going to other sources before you even consider the source. Don't be going to other sources before you consider the source, him. He's the source. He's reliable. God is not a man that he should lie. That's in Numbers 23, 19. Whatever he said he's going to do, he will do it. Just make sure he's the one that said it. Make sure it's in his word. And sometimes, honestly, right, God says, I've got you. And we feel like he doesn't have us at all. Like we're out here. What do you mean you've got me? I'm not feeling it. I'm not seeing it. I I don't think you've got me. And we're going to dig into this a little further in this podcast, but we actually don't go by what we feel and we don't go by what we see. We go about the truth of God's word and we go by the unseen, not the seen. So what is he saying when he says, I've got you? When he's telling me and he's telling you today, I've got you. He's saying at least these three things to us. He's saying, I will preserve you. I will keep you. I will defend you. I will protect you. The rumors, the lies, don't worry about it. If you're the one they're being said about, don't worry about it. If you're hearing about somebody else, watch the person and wait. You'll see. I promise you this. The word tells us in Matthew chapter 7, I think it starts around verse 16. And you know, read, read a few verses down too, but it says you will know them by their fruit. So that means we'll know others by their fruit and others will know us by our fruit. So before we're quick to listen to something somebody else has said about someone that we're like, huh, that just doesn't quite seem like them, what I know of them. Watch the fruit. What is the fruit in their life saying? Because I promise you, and what that Matthew 7 is basically saying, they use different terminology, but a pear tree cannot produce an apple. It can't do it. And so, and if somebody's talking about you, don't worry about it. Your fruit will speak for you. That's where that scripture comes in where it says, no weapon formed against us can prosper. And every tongue that rises up against us in judgment, will condemn it. We'll condemn it by the fruit in our lives. That's what speaks. So he will preserve us. Let him. He'll keep us. He'll defend us. And he'll protect us. And the second thing that he'll do when he says, what he's saying, I guess, when he says, I've got you, is he's saying, I'm your provision. I will provide whatever it is you need, whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, whether it's financially, financially, you know, that doesn't mean, oh, all the money is just going to come pouring in and I'm not going to, we always have our portion in everything God says, even in the fact of God's got you. We have our portion in that. And you'll see as we go on today, he's promising I've got you, but he can't have us if we don't let him. He can't have us if we don't grab the keys that he's trying to give us so he can have us and hold those keys and go forward in those keys. And you'll see what I mean in a few minutes. So I'm your provision. 
Financially, what does he do? He provides the job or the connection or the open door. Eventually, he provides the uh, ladder climbing, the experience we'll need. He opens the doors that get us to where we need to be, that will get us to where we financially need to be. Medically, sometimes he supernaturally heals. Sometimes he provides the right doctor at the right time. And it's like, boy, no other doctor could have been better for me in that moment. Have you ever had that experience? That's God being your provision. Don't overlook those things. You have to settle into that trust of he's going to preserve you, preserve you, yes, and he's going to be your provision. And then what's the, remember I said at least three things when he says, I've got you, I'm your sovereignty. I'm your, I will preserve you. I am your provision. I am your sovereignty. God's saying, I have complete control. I am the final word. Don't worry about it. He's the final word. Nothing happens that is not sifted through the hands of God. Nothing. So whatever happens, it's looking to produce a good thing in us. Psalms 84, 11 tells us no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So even if it's seemingly a bad thing, remember, we have to go by the unseen. It's going to produce a good thing in us. So in the long run, it's a good thing. We just don't see it yet. So I want to hit a few scripture verses that I believe line up with the fact that God's got us. So Joshua chapter one, starting at verse five. I love this verse. This is so powerful. If we can, I mean, he's talking to Joshua. Imagine being Joshua and what he knows is before him. And he knows Moses is dead. He knows all the people looked to Moses. He was Moses' right-hand person. And now God says, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. That's powerful. I mean, fears in our life are real, right? We talked about this last last podcast. It's actually titled No Fear if you haven't listened to it. But in that, Paul himself told Timothy in in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind because he knew Timothy was fearful. The same thing is going on with Joshua here. He's afraid and God knows he's afraid. God does not dismiss his feelings as unimportant or even petty. God understands, and I want to make this point, God understands Joshua's feelings here and he understands our feelings also, but God also knows Joshua cannot stay in those feelings or he's not leading anybody into any promised land. It's not going to happen. Instead, God encourages Joshua that regardless, Joshua, of how you're feeling right now, I'm telling you, no one, and I mean no one, will be able to stand against you. So Joshua, don't go by what you see. Don't even go by the facts. And I say that all the time, right? And it's, it, that's great. And facts are facts. And those are the facts. But what's the truth of the situation? And so God's telling Joshua, go by what I'm telling you right now. And I'm telling you right now, as you saw me with Moses, so I will be with you. I'm not going to disappoint you, Joshua, if, and here's our portion, if you will trust me. When God says, as I was with Moses, 
I mean, he's speaking right to Joshua's heart here. Joshua had been so close to Moses, a loyal right-hand man during the 40 years trudging through the desert with Moses and the Israelites and all the mumbling and all the grumbling and all the complaining and all the miracles and all the signs and wonders, all of that. He saw all that firsthand. He saw all Moses went through and he saw that all that God did for Moses. And now he's saying, God, to him, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. He's gonna be the same for Joshua as he was with Moses if Joshua will just simply trust him because he's no respecter of persons and he will be with you and he will be with me if we will simply trust him. All he wants is our faith, our trust, and our obedience. Sounds simple, but very hard to walk out in the fullness. Right now it's Joshua's turn. I mean, I'm sorry, he's got to lead these crazy Israelites. And honestly, not by their choice. He's not the elected person, right? No, he's the appointed person by God. And that must have been overwhelming. It's not like the people like, hey, we want Joshua. God was like, Joshua is your leader, appointed by Moses and appointed by me. And God tells Joshua, go over the Jordan, you and all the people, and bring them into the promise. This would only be possible through unwavering faith that God is going to do as he said he would do, and God is going with them. Because in verse 7 of Joshua 1, he tells Joshua, I need you to be strong, and I need you to be courageous. So he's saying, I'm with you. I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to abandon you. You're going to lead these people into the promised land, but be strong and be courageous. So don't miss here. God has his part, and Joshua has his part. And if you do your part, Joshua, I most certainly will do my part, God is saying. And you and your strength and courage and faith in me will cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers. You will cause the people to inherit the land. Cause. You will make it happen because of your unwavering obedience and your radical faith. Like us, God is not asking Joshua to do something that God will not be going before him, God will not be walking beside him, and God will not be behind him as his rear guard. In verse 5 of still Joshua 1, he says, I will be with you, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you. I mean, what more is there, really? We need to, st- we need to stop looking to others for the things and the places God says are his portion. Let God fill his portion. And Joshua just walks in it all. He walks in that faith. He walks in that obedience. And he walks in a willingness to take on the battles. And there's going to be battles. There's not one mighty man or woman of God anywhere in the Bible that didn't have battles to contend in. And so faith, obedience, and battles, right? Faith. Joshua has to have faith. We have to have faith that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. And we can't waver in that. We can't think it one day and wonder it the next day. We'll be just tossed to and fro in the sea. Joshua has to be, and God tells him this in verse seven, Joshua has to be obedient to not only God's direction, but also God's law. So maybe he's requiring some obedience from us too. He tells Joshua in verse seven, be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. 
do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have six good success wherever you go. I've got you, Joshua, but there's some requirements. You want good success wherever you go. You know what? Be careful to do all God commands. And then one more thing, Joshua's going to have to battle. There's no easy street because you've decided to believe in the Lord and enter his promises. No, just because he's with us, just because he's saying, I've got you, that doesn't make it easy. No, he strengthens us to fight the battle. But rest assured, we will have to fight the battle. There's going to be a battle and we're going to have to fight it. But we are strengthened and we are given courage to do so. Let's jump over to 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Your God is deeply concerned. I'd even say more concerned about what concerns us than we are. Casting all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns on him. Kind of picture it like a game of hot potato, right? If we could look at it like that. Like, you don't want to hold on to that hot potato. The minute that potato, it's hot, right? You get it. What do you do? You're going to flick it out of your hand as fast as you can. You don't want to get caught with the hot potato. Let's think about that with casting all our anxieties on him. The minute that anxiety, that worry, that concern hits your heart, turn and throw it to Jesus like you're playing a game of hot potato. You don't want it. You don't want to keep it. You don't want to be stuck with it. You don't want it to burn you. That kind of mentality and that kind of quickness. When we choose, and it is a choice, to be anxious or worried or concerned or stressed, however you want to term it, we're taking responsibility for something that's out of our control and only God can handle. And he will handle it because he's got us only if we release it to him. It's like, (laughs) you know, that toddler death grip, right? That baby death grip. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had that. Boy, when you, the minute you see that baby trying to snag something, you're, you try to get to it fast because once that baby gets a grip on it, that's it. You, I mean, to pry those fingers off of something is quite the chore, right? We do that with our anxieties and our worries and our concerns. We grab a hold and we aren't going to let go of it. We don't want anyone to take it out of our hands. But God wants us to come to him. He wants us to depend on him, trusting him, seeking his guidance, choosing, throwing, casting all of our anxieties and worries and concerns, big and small, over to him. And then, and this is key, then trusting his response. And that's the struggle we have sometimes. We don't do this because we don't trust the outcome. What if it's not what we wanted? What if it's not good? What if it's not how we saw it? Whatever it is, we have to trust that it's what God intended when we've completely given it to him. And I'll say this, his response may not be what we expect or what we anticipate, but we've got to let God keep what we handed over to him. If we let that play out, we will see all along God had us. He has us. He's got you. Go, Joseph, go to Genesis chapter 45. And this is, you know, at the, at the end of the story with Joseph. This is where his brothers are repenting for selling him into slavery. And it was their wicked ways, their evil scheming plans. 
that actually propelled Joseph into the will of God. I bet none of them saw that coming. They were so jealous of his dream, they made his dream happen. They were a huge stepping stone into him getting to where he needed to be. And in Genesis 45, Joseph actually has this revelation. He tells his brothers, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. We know that because we have, we have that 2020 hindsight vision of all that took place. But they didn't know that at the time. Joseph didn't know that. Struggle after struggle after struggle he went through was propelling him to destiny. Because why? God had him. And the bottom line is God works in all things for the good of those who love him, trust him, and submit to him. All things, even and maybe even especially the ugly things in our life are the very things we're always trying to be avoided or we're always trying to be rescued from, sorry. We always try to avoid, but they're the very thing God's trying to use to propel us. And Joseph always kept the mindset, God's got me. And he never waved from it in extreme circumstances. And some of you have extreme circumstances and you just have to keep your mind stayed on the fact that God's got me and I'm going to trust him and I'm going to keep my heart pure and I'm going to keep my hands clean and I'm going to keep my mind stayed on him and I'm going to walk in perfect peace and he's got me. Joseph kept this mindset through a lot. Go read about his life if you're not familiar with it and he's got you through every extreme circumstance you have already faced, you might be in the middle of, or you will face. I mean, in Jeremiah 29, 11, we know God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God remembers his plans he has for us. Another word you could use there is his intentions for us. One translation, I think it's the new King James, actually says, I know the thoughts I think towards you. And they're plural, by the way, plans intentions, thoughts, more than one. What thoughts of peace and not of evil. He knows what he's thinking about us and he knows what his intentions are. And this is where the trust comes in. He knows how to get us there. He remembers every promise. He remembers every covenant. And his intent is to always fulfill his promises and always to stand in his covenants, always. Let's jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse four and five. And these are all ways that God's got us. He's equipping us. He's giving us the keys to drive the car. So in 2 Corinthians 10, verses four and five, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We, 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 are you seeing that there? He's got us, he's given us the weapons. We have to do these things. He's not only equipped us for the warfare that we're all gonna inevitably face, he's given us the weapons, the only weapons capable of defeating our real enemy. It's kind of like, I think of it like this, right? Okay, so if you're raising kids, you're eventually gonna hit that point in their life where they're ready to drive a car. So you 
as the parent are going to best equip them to be able to drive that car to the best of their ability. So when you hand them those keys, they have everything in them plus a safe vehicle to be able to get from point A to point B safely. And they're going to encounter danger from point A to point B, but they're going to be trained in how to deal with it. They're going to have to follow direction. They're going to have to submit to law. They're going to have to stop at red lights, go the speed limit. They're going to have to be a defensive driver, avoid crashing, watch out what other people are doing. And when you are caught, you give them, you equip them through training, then you hand them the keys, training and testing, actually. Then you hand them the keys. It's the same with us. God has given us the training and the testing. He's equipped us with the weapons capable of defeating our enemy and demolishing strongholds. And these weapons are powerful because what does the scripture tell us? They have divine power to defeat ungodliness. They come against false teachings. They equip us to resist evil plans of the enemy. Now imagine, once we have those keys, if we were as excited as the teenager, we grab those keys and we go. We're ready to go. Because when that teenager hits 16 and passes that test, that hands out for those keys and they're ready to go. So are you asking, are you wondering, what are the weapons? Good, I'm glad you asked. These answers may surprise you. These are the weapons God gives us. Places in our hands, instruction. Be committed to God's word. Know his word. Know the truth of his word. Know what he's actually saying in his word. Not your opinion or someone else's opinion of the word. Learn to break down the word and understand what is being said. What is God's intent in that directive, in that command, in that desire. Be committed to God's word and knowing his truths, what he's saying. Live a life of holiness. Again, what does God say about what you're contemplating? What does God be? He, he said, be holy as I'm holy. He didn't say it if we couldn't do it. My opinion doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. Their opinion doesn't matter. What does God say about it? Whatever it is you're contemplating, does it lead to holiness? Is it a lifestyle of holiness? Is it holy in God's eyes? Whatever you're doing, saying, thinking, being, would you do, say, be it, and think it in the presence of God? Is it holy in his eyes? Does it lead to holiness? These are things you need to answer. I can't answer them for you. Now, some things I can, of course, We've got the basic 10 commandments, but we also have personal commands that go beyond the 10 commandments. Why? Because we all have personal struggles and they're different from one another. And God knows what they are. So he gives us personal commands. What might be okay for somebody else might not be for us. If 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 somebody else can do or say something or be something, and they're still in the holiness of the Lord because they don't have the same struggle we have, But for us, no, we can't even do it because what? Is it going to lead to holiness or is it going to lead to a battle? We're setting ourselves up to fail. Another thing, another key is being bold in the Lord, being ready in and out of season to declare God's truth. So of course, 
we have to be what? Committed to God's word, the first, the first weapon, know the truth. And then we have to be bold in the Lord, right? Proverbs 21, 28, one tells us the righteous are as bold as a lion, as a lion. Be bold in the Lord. Just be ready in and out of season. You don't have to go screaming on every street corner, but be ready in and out of season to give an answer and account for the peace and the joy that you have in your life. Here's a big key. Be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Being empowered by the Holy Spirit is absolutely one of our weapons of warfare. I mean, it was the Holy Spirit is so important to us that Jesus was like, hey, I'm going to go because if I don't go, he can't come and you need him. And we're thinking, no, we need you, Jesus. And he's like, no, no, I got to go because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit's not showing up and you need the Holy Spirit. That's how important the Holy Spirit is. That's in John 16, 7. Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, which we can give him other titles, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's for our benefit. It's profitable to us. It's for our good to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, praying at all times. Romans 8, 26, right? This it also entails the Holy Spirit. I mean, sometimes we know what to pray. There's other times we just straight up, we don't even know what to say. But the Holy Spirit does. And he will pray for us, right? Romans 8, 26 tells us that we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words because he knows how to pray. He knows our heart. He knows the heart of God. And he comes down and he prays it through us. So it's one and in agreement with the heart of God. And it brings forth what we're contending for. And then, of course, another way God has us, right, is he has us by equipping us. And he equips us. Clearly, the armor of God kind of uh, brings all of this that I just said. I talked about commitment to God's word, living a life of holiness, being bold in the Lord, being powered by the Holy Spirit, and praying at all times. The armor of God talks about that. He gives us the armor of God in Ephesians 6. He gives us the keys if we walk in this. He tells us very similar to the scripture above in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, about the weapons of warfare, very similar in Ephesians 6, 10, he tells us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, right? What he told Joshua, be strong and courageous. He told us to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the armor of God, be fully clothed, be prepared to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on these weapons of warfare. If you go down to verse 13, take up the whole armor of God and stand therefore. And after you've stood, after all that, after you've done all you can do to stand, by the way, in verse 14, stand firm, stand a little more, stand a little longer. Put on that belt of truth. Know the word of God. Know the truth. Put on that breastplate of righteousness, holiness, be in right standing with God. Verse 15, have your feet ready to give the gospel of the peace. Be ready in season and out of season, in boldness and in all circumstances. Verse 16, take up that shield of faith. A faith that says, God's got me. He's got me no matter what. 
I'm good. I'm going forward. I'm pushing through in this battle because he's got me. In verse 17, have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Again, the word of God. We've got to know it. We've got to know his truth. And then what does it say in verse 18? Praying at all times with prayer and supplication so we can be alert with perseverance. These are our weapons of warfare. It's the armor of God. It doesn't seem it necessarily, but this is how God's got us. He's equipped us. He's trained us for what we're going to face. And if you go back to 2 Corinthians 10 for a moment, and you go in verse 5, one of the biggest places of battle is in our minds. Verse 5 tells us, take every thought captive. The second that we give our thoughts an inch, it's over. No, no. Tell your own thoughts, God's got us. He tells us to renew our minds daily, Romans 12, 2. He tells us we have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2, 16. And what did he tell us just in Ephesians 6? To put on the helmet of salvation, because this is what it takes. Our minds absolutely are a battleground, no doubt. How do we do this? How do we take these thoughts captive? When a thought comes in, that we know does not line up with God's truth. And we know it sometimes, and honestly, we just choose to ignore that fact, but we know. But if we want to walk in complete victory, if we want to walk in that God's got everything and I'm gonna trust him wholly and completely, we take hold of the thought before it spirals. We take hold of the thought before it takes root in our inner man. We take the thought captive. We don't let it take us. We have to understand, I'm reacting and I'm not responding if we get anxious. Reacting is in the moment. Responding is taking a moment. I I want you to grasp that. Reacting is in the moment. You lose your patience. You're frustrated. You're irritated. Responding is stepping back and saying, God, what's the truth? What's your, I want to see the unseen. We take our thought and we compare it to God's word, the truth of God's word. We take our thought, does it line up to a life of holiness? We take our thought, does it line up to the witness? I want it to give to other people in my life. We ask the Holy Spirit, show me the truth of this thought. We take the thought captive. We don't let it take us captive. And if you're still unsure, give it to God for his sifting and leave it with him. You do not let the thought take hold of you, but instead you take hold of it. You're in control because you have the mind of Christ. And then you replace the ungodly thinking with godly thinking. Philippians 4.8 tells us this. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, worthy of praise, any excellence, etc. Philippians 4.8. So let's go back a few verses on that, all the way to verse four in Philippians. Verse four says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Always, in all circumstances, including and especially the tough stuff. We must learn to rejoice, not get frantic, not get stressed, not start to spiral. No, we stop. We recall God's goodness, his faithfulness, and his promises. We remember what he's done before. We remain steady. We stand and we stand therefore. 
Verse 5 tells us in Philippians 4, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Wow, does somebody see you as reasonable? <laughs> That's pretty powerful. Never This really jumped out to me today, actually. The Lord is at hand. I mean, do people, people know how you react? What, what is your circle's expectation of your reaction of things? What is your reputation? Is it steady? Is it steadfast? Is it peace in the middle of the crazy? If it is, you will stand out. People will know you are different. They will come to you for a testimony. Or is it stress, anxiety, worry, frustration, anger? If it is, then how is your testimony any different than the world? And why would someone want what you have when you're not being reasonable? You're being anxious. You're worried. You're angry. You're frustrated. Are you reasonable? Are you steady? Verse six. (laughs) I mean, it seems pretty clear here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I mean, it's not hard to translate that. That almost translates itself. What do we do instead of being anxious? Don't be anxious. What do you do instead? Oh, by the way, instead you pray. It renews your hope. I mean, oh, pray about it. That sounds like a catchphrase. Sounds like you're, you know, um, uh, appeasing somebody, but you're not. You're telling them, go get encouraged in the Lord. Go get strengthened in the Lord. Renew your hope. Renew your trust. See, we've got to make an exchange. Anxiety for peace, but it's up to us. Because then in verse seven, it says what? Then the peace of God, after you're not anxious about anything, after you've given it in prayer with a thankful and grateful heart to God, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, makes no sense to uh, uh, earthly nature, passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. If we make this exchange of anxiety for peace, our hearts will be guarded. This peace guards our hearts. And we stay there by what? Walking in verse eight, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, lovely, commendable, anything excellent, all these things, think about that. Pretty powerful stuff. God's peace is the exact opposite of anxiety. We can only have this peace when we call out to God for it. And we align our thinking to God's truth. And we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. God's peace is never based on emotions or feelings or circumstances. It can't be. It's based on the solid foundation we have established with God through Jesus that he's always near. He's always watching. He's always our guard. He's always our provision. He's always our protection. He's always our sovereignty. He's working in every situation. We find ourselves in for our good. We rejoice in the Lord always. End of conversation. And Jesus himself said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. This is the epitome, this verse of God's got you. Don't worry about it. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. What does that mean? Don't give permission to your hearts to be troubled. Don't give permission to your heart to be afraid. Take the peace I'm leaving with you. I've done my part. You do your part and we'll be in perfect peace. What's a great portion of our part? Jeremiah 33 tells us, 
call to me and I'll answer you. All you got to do is call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. We call out to him. He reveals what we need to know, when we need to know it, if we call out to him. And if he's not telling us yet, we don't need to know yet. Just like our kids, right? We'd overwhelm our kids if we told them everything. God's not going to overwhelm us. So he tells us what we need to know in the moment. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses 17 and 18 says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. We talked about this earlier. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And I mean, this one less than thrills us. Like there's actually purpose to our trials and tribulation and we're trying to get rescued from them. And God's like, I'm trying to process you through it. What God is trying to do is to produce through us his glory. That's what he's trying to do. And our our trials and our tribulations pale in comparison to his glory in the the eternal implications that witness and testimony can have to those around us. I mean, imagine how differently we'd view even the smallest of trials if we could discipline ourselves to understand every single trial has an eternal implication to it. And that, to me, brings a different perspective to the big and the little frustrations of life. And our faithfulness will produce a glory in us that the world can't attain, and it'll be drawn to. And our struggle comes in the fact that we do not look that we do look, sorry, we definitely do look to the things that are seen. But we're being told here, no, as believers, that's not what I want you to do. Look not at the things that are seen. Look beyond that, crank your neck and look beyond the seen to the unseen and trust God in faith. And when you do that, that produces hope, which brings us to peace. It's a circle. And that peace enables us next time to look beyond the seen to the unseen in trust, in faith, which produces hope and brings us to peace and equips us next time we face something to look around that scene to the unseen, understanding there's eternal implications to every bump in the road. Isaiah 41.10 tells us, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. What a promise. I mean, if we rest in that God's got us in all things and against all our situations, our best interests are his end game, we will have the strength and the endurance we need because we're resting in that to walk through any circumstance, any circumstance we find ourselves in. Psalm 37, five, just a few more scriptures here and we're done. Psalm 37, five, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. I mean, it doesn't get any sweeter and simpler than that. Want what God wants, live by his truths, allow him to mold you and bend you on the potter's wheel any way he deems necessary. Trusting him in all things, and he will most definitely move on your behalf. Why? Because he said, I got you. And James 1, 2 through 4, <laughs> almost as equally thrilling as that light and momentary affliction we talked about, is counted all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
For you know that the testing of your faith, what? It's a circle again, produces steadfastness. And if we let, give permission to that steadfastness to have its full effect, we will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God is looking to use anything we come across to bring us to a place of lacking nothing through a process most of us don't want to complete. We want to be rescued from. We don't like being uncomfortable. And the moment it's gone on a day too long, we wonder where God is. We're all familiar with that phrase, count it all joy. And we have all probably thought, how am I supposed to count this joy? Because we have a different understanding of joy than God does. Joy is actually our strength. It's our rock. It's not happiness. It's not skipping through that field of daisies. No, it's leaning on him no matter what. It's understanding God sees a finished product in the midst of the trials because he knows what he's purging off of us and what it's bringing forth in us. And if we can look around the scene to the unseen, then we certainly count it all joy too. Truly knowing God's got us enables us to count it all joy, standing in faith, standing in trust, knowing the truth of his word, understanding the truth of his word, walking in holiness, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, praying at all times. That enables us to count it all joy. And it brings us to a place of lacking nothing in him. We throw those anxieties away like they're a hot potato and we rest in God's peace no matter what. And I'm done with this scripture. Isaiah 26, verse three, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. He's got us because he has equipped us to remain in peace. Our portion is to stay in that position. What's that position? A mind focused on him in complete trust. Remember, he's got you. 